Well, good morning. Today we are going to cover the parable of the unjust steward, where it also goes by the title, The Parable of the Dishonest Manager. And most would say this is one of the most difficult parables of Jesus's uh, to interpret for a number of reasons that we'll look at um, in just a minute. Luke chapter 16, verse 1. Jesus also said to his disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be my manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? How much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. Verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you who have not been faithful in, in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot serve God and money. Why is this parable so perplexing? Because at first glance, the manager in the story seems to have embezzled a a very large amount of money from his boss. He's guilty of fraud, embezzlement, he's an underhanded crook, and if that's the case, then why would Jesus Christ, being holy and righteous as he is, why would Jesus commend to us a criminal as an example of good Christian stewardship? That's the rub. That's always been the rub. You know, if God is truly as he speaks uh, we just said in our con- confession of sin, So holy, his eyes cannot look upon sin. Why would he be giving us a a sinful character in order to teach us what we are to do with our wealth? Well, that problem has led uh, a number of commentators down through church history to propose several solutions. One is to maintain that the manager in the parable didn't actually cheat his master after all. What he's doing in reducing these debts He's canceling the commission, the fees that would have been uh, charged to the debtors, probably unbeknownst to them. So the idea is, 
he's dishonest insofar as he's made these you know, huge markups on the wheat and on the oil. I think it's 50% on one, maybe 20 or 30% on the other. Uh, but once he takes his own fees out and the commission out, the debtors end up paying the master exactly what they owe him. And the master, uh, or the manager rather, has these people he can fall back on if in case by chance he gets fired. That's one solution. Another solution is to maintain that, yes, there is indeed a cheat in the, in the story, in the parable, but it's not the manager, it's the master who is the cheat. So the way this one goes, um, and you would pay, pick up on this if we were reading straight through in chapter from chapter 15 to 16. Jesus is talking in the presence of his disciples and the Pharisees. The Pharisees were known... Jesus condemned them for being, quote, lovers of money and, quote, those who devour widows' houses. It suggests that there was something unscrupulous in their, uh, their financial practices. For instance, in Israel, you were not allowed to charge interest on uh, a fellow Israelite. It was very important, especially in lean times, that you not ch- ch- uh, charge interest because the charging of interest was a predatory lending practice. Well, if the Pharisees were devouring widows' houses, it suggests that they were doing something like that. So in this parable, as Jesus tells it, the manager is actually the good guy, because what he's doing is he's just writing, writing the interest charges out. And the master has a hard time of doing anything about it. His hands are tied because if he goes back to the, to the debtors and says, oops, you actually owe me this, he's, he's acknowledging that there was illegal interest being charged in the first place. There you have it. There's two of many. There's lots of different interpretations on the parable of the unjust manager. My take on the, what do you think I hold to? I believe He's a crook. <laughs> He's an out-and-out embezzler. He has cost his master a ton of money. And it really doesn't bother me that Jesus takes a negative example to make a, a positive point. In fact, I think I know why Jesus tells the story as he, as he does. We as human beings, we love, we love stories about theft, don't we? We love to watch a good bank robbery story. The movie that came to my mind was Ocean's Eleven. We love those types of, we love the jewelry heist and the, it, it captures our attention. Uh, surely, uh, Jesus here trying to capture his audience attention by showing them that even a crook can teach them something about wisdom. Last thing I'll say about the passage, um, Jesus doesn't commend his dishonesty. He, he doesn't say um, he's great because he's a fraud. What does Jesus do? He commends the man because this man understands one very important principle about money. He understands what the sons of light, a.k.a. Christians, don't understand. He understands what money is for. What is money for? What's it good for? Jesus Christ tells us here. He says, your money, your money is good for making friends. Your money is good for making friends, eternal friendships. 
There is the point in verses 8 and 9. The wise, shrewd disciple of Jesus Christ will use whatever money they have for making friendships that will last throughout eternity. Which I dare say is a very different way of thinking about money uh, than is typical among us. Really, if I were to have cornered you as you walked through the door of the church this morning and asked you the question, so what's money for? What's the purpose? Even if you gave me a very, uh, a good Christian answer, well, money is, we have money in order to glorify God and extend his kingdom in the world and uh, you can't take it with you, ha, ha, ha. Even if you gave me that answer, I really doubt that you would have zeroed in on the, the specific thing that Jesus is saying here. Your, your money is, is there to make forever friends, forever friendships. Money, um, money is for forever friendships, and that is a shrewd and lasting investment, according to Jesus Christ. I was reading this week, and I came across an article. I saw Warren Buffett in the headline of the article, so it immediately caught my attention, because I think Warren Buffett's kind of an interesting eccentric, eclectic dude. And did you see it? Warren Buffett lost $1.4 billion in one day. He lost $1.4 billion with, uh, I guess, Wells Fargo stock ended up plummeting in one day. Have you had a bad day? Ouch! (laughs) How much did you lose? $1.4 billion. (laughs) That would be pretty painful. Um, I know Warren Buffett probably, he ended up making $1.6 billion the next day, but no, there aren't many safe, safe investments on, on this planet, like really, really safe. Um, no, there's nothing, there's no such thing as a truly ironclad safe investment down here on earth. I mean, you could put your money in a bank vault underneath a mountain in Switzerland, And eventually that mountain is going to be withered down into pebbles and the vault's going to rust and the the paper is is going to turn to dust. It's not going to last. Nothing down here is going to last. The only thing down here, the only thing that really down here lasts are the people that I'm looking at, are the things that I'm looking at right now. It's it's you that are going to last. We, We say it. People last forever. Because you are endowed with a soul. You're not just an animal. You have a soul. And that soul is going to last forever. The point of the parable of the unjust steward is that money is not to be worshipped. Money is not to be hoarded. Money is a tool for making eternal friendships. What are the type? What are the kind of friends we are trying to make? Do we use our resources to buy connections with the wealthy and the powerful and the famous? Are we trying to make friends with the world? Or are we, as Jesus already talked about in chapter 12, he said, what you need to be doing with your wealth is you need to be rich with God, rich toward God. You need to take your wealth and store up for yourself treasures in heaven where you know thieves can't break in to steal and where moth and rust Don't destroy. You need to. And how did Jesus say in chapter 12, you and I are to become rich toward God and store up. He said, you do it by selling your possessions, giving to the poor, by by performing charity, and by, in, in effect, investing in things that last forever. 
I think there's a very good example of this. Uh, one of my favorite, um, I, I love Truett Cathy. <laughs> I admire Truett Cathy, founder of Chick-fil-A. You don't recognize his name? Yeah, the founder of Chick-fil-A. I have loved Chick-fil-A ever since I was a little boy who got to grow up in Arizona but take summer vacations back in Atlanta, and we would always just load ourselves up with Chick-fil-A. True Cathy is a very wise man because he uses his money to gain friendships. What happens when you drive by a Chick-fil-A on, uh, you know, it's noon on Sunday and you want to go get yourself waffle fries and a Chick-fil-A sandwich? What happens when you pull up to the drive-thru? It's closed. The guy closes, get this, it's a restaurant fast food chain that closes on one of the two busiest days of sales every week. Can you imagine the gobs and gobs of money Truett Cathy loses because he he closes his restaurants for, for his employees? That's why he does it. He closes his restaurants so that they would be able to have a day of rest. They could go to church. They could spend time with their, their family. He loses gobs and gobs of money in order to gain friends in this life. <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, I'm sure when the guy walks into one of his restaurants, he is mobbed by his employees because, because they love him. They, he's, he's their friend. I mean, how many employees feel that about upper management? <laughs> they, he's their friend. And he's also a Christian man. Nothing would give him greater pleasure than for those employees to become forever friends. Brothers and sisters in Christ. He gives up his money. He loses a lot of money for that purpose. Okay, look with me. We're going to take a quick look at a few verses. We'll drill down on a couple of these verses. And then we'll be done. Verse 10 is the one I want you to look at. Jesus gives a very simple concept here that parents try to impress upon their children. He says this, that one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. Verse 12, if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? It's a simple concept that parents try to impress upon their children. Uh, if I can trust you to keep your room clean, then I probably can trust you to take care of a bike. If I can trust you to take care of a bike, I might be able to trust you to take care of a dog. I might even be willing to entrust you with the, the keys to the car for, for a drive. But I mean, but only if you're faithful in the little. You know, same thing in business. If an employer can trust you in the little things, then, the, then she's going to promote you to manage even more clients and handle even bigger projects. And you know, what, if you're faithful in whatever you have, normally you're going to be given greater responsibility and uh, greater opportunity. Our problem is that we agree with that, and then we turn right around and play the what-if game. And the what-if game is this, uh, it, or the if-only game. The if-only trap. If only I made more money, then I'd be more generous to the poor. If only I had a million dollars, then I'd give it away to missions. If only we had, and that's, if only, 
Jesus says, the issue is not what you would do with the million dollars. The issue is what would you do with the hundred thousand that's been entrusted to you or the the hundred dollars which has been entrusted to you or even the, the ten dollars, you little kids. Jesus Christ, he cares about you being faithful with the little. And that's what he's saying here, that we must be faithful with God has entrusted to us Otherwise, he's not going to give us more responsibility and more riches in his future kingdom. I don't quite understand what he means. I mean, what kind of responsibilities do we get after the resurrection? What kind of unique riches do you get after you've already been resurrected? I'm not exactly sure, but but he is saying that you're going to miss out on something. What opportunities, future opportunities, are we missing because we fail to use our money or for that matter, our time, our talents, we fail to use them wisely in light of eternity. I'll say this again. I've said it a number of times before. The Bible is not against us making money. If you've got a talent to make money, good. Solomon did too. What the Bible is against is us doing the very American thing of creating a, an identity that's shaped by our money. Um, if you're not very good at making money, if you feel like you've, you're, you just haven't been successful, it is so easy to fall into the trap of saying, man, I haven't made any money. I'm poor. I got nothing. I'm a bum. I'm a bum. What a waste of oxygen I am. I mean, I've made nothing of myself. What a loser. It's so easy to, to fall into isn't it because our culture just kind of paved the way for us to fall into these, these identity traps? Um, and then on the flip side, though, if you've made a lot of money, if you've been financially very successful, uh, it's easy to have a false sense of confidence based on the fact that you're a financial success. Have you ever noticed this phenomenon that financially successful people, sometimes they think that they are experts in all of life? Financially successful people, sometimes, not all of them, but sometimes they think that they are like intellectually competent to lecture you on theology, politics, uh, home interior decorating, football, all of it. Because they they understand money, they understand everything else. Have you ever noticed that? It gives us a false sense of confidence. You know, I'm going to share my brilliance with, uh, with everybody else on everything under the sun. No, in Jesus' kingdom, identity is not defined. Money doesn't define our identity. Not in Jesus' kingdom. Money doesn't define our identity. We are to be faithful in whatever we've been given, however much or however little. And if we are, Jesus says, then God will entrust to us more riches, more responsibility, more opportunities. Uh, Again, I don't know what that means, but won't it be exciting to find out? Okay, the second verse I want you to look at is verse 9. When I was reading the passage originally, you might have noticed, it, it just, there's a strange turn of phrase here. In verse 9, it says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. Hmm? It literally, it says, by means of unrighteous mammon, so that when it fails, you may receive, or they may receive you, 
into the eternal dwellings. What in the world is Jesus talking about when he says unrighteous mammon? Surely he doesn't, he isn't telling us to acquire wealth illegally. Um, I think the best explanation of this phrase, money is unrighteous insofar as it's the source, we all know, it's the source of many temptations. And money can get us into so many uh, pieces of trouble. We may need it to live, and it's important in certain respects, but maybe it would actually do us some good if from time to time we looked at our our dollar bill and and just said, unrighteous mammon, (laughs) as a reminder of the dangers associated with it. Um, And as Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, at the end of the day, all money is is dirt. Money is dirt. It's going to fail us. It's going to miserably fail us. One of my favorite preachers, Charles Garland, gave an incredible illustration of this to his congregation. I'm going to give it to you. He said, what I want you to do is imagine that you were living in the southern part of the United States of America on April the 9th, 1865. Anybody know April 9, 1865? You're south of Dixie. You're way down... Yonder in Dixie, and you get the the news from Appomattox Courthouse that Lee has surrendered. You pull out your billfold and and pull out a dollar bill. What does that hundred dollar bill say in your billfold? It says it reads C S A, Confederate States of America. And immediately you have a moment of clarity with regard to your money, don't you? Like, all of a sudden, your money looks a whole lot different than it did 24 hours ago. Um, This stuff is dirt. You may want to keep some of it around for as long as it's good, but it's not going to be good for very long. You know, Sherman's coming. Sherman's already come, hasn't he? (laughs) Uh, What you need, what you need is a currency exchange. A currency exchange. And probably by April 9th, 1865, there was no such thing operating in the South at that point. But if you could, if you could run right out at that moment and go through a currency exchange, my guess is that you would take a very bad rate of return in order to trade out what's in your your wallet for a currency that's a little more enduring. I love the image that Jesus gives in uh, verse 9 here. Notice he does not say that you get to trade out U.S. dollars for, like, heaven's euro, (laughs) Uh, heaven's yen. He does not say Canadian dollars for, for heaven tokens. Notice the currency exchange he gives us in verse 9. He says you can trade your money in for friendships which will open to you doors of eternal dwellings. That's wild. Remember that when we talk about heaven, we don't believe that heaven is going to be this platonic spirit world where we live on clouds or what have you. Heaven, as the Bible talks about it, is a new earth. It's a resurrected earth. You and I, when we go to heaven, we're not going to be living on the clouds and we're not going to be living on the streets. We will be living in residences on the new earth, in homes probably, where, you know, in a home you can extend hospitality to, to strangers. You can welcome people 
among you? What a fascinating thought that Jesus says. The currency exchange that you can participate in is you can make friends here on earth who will then in heaven be inviting you over to their house for dinner. They will be opening eternal dwellings to you. There will be bed and breakfasts in heaven that you'll be invited into. I mean, again, I don't know exactly what he's talking about, but I sure want to discover it. Brothers and sisters, let me just boil the sermon down to these last key points. Use paper dirt. Use your paper dirt to help foster faith in Jesus Christ in, uh, in people who last forever. Spend your paper dirt on the gospel and spend your life, your time, your talent, all of it, spend it on the gospel and on making the gospel known to those who don't uh, know it yet and spend it generously on, on missions and, and mercy where we care for people's physical needs um, because they're, they're a combination of body and soul. But use your paper dirt to make friends that at the end of the day don't disappear. Because Jesus is saying something extremely uncomfortable to us. He's saying it is better to have eternal friends than money in the bank. It is better to have eternal friends than, than money in a 401k. I, I'm a saver. I, I put everything that I make into the bank. I mean, not everything. I put a whole lot into five kids. <laughs> but I feel him pushing up against me, pushing back against me in this parable. And I, I hope you do too. It, maybe it's better to put your money into friendships, which could extend into eternity and into eternal vacation destinations. And I feel Jesus pushing back against me here as he tells me and you to take a lesson from a crook, be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Be shrewd as serpents and, as, and, and innocent as doves with your wealth. Amen.